0: Hello, I'm Tina Sederholm. Welcome to This Is Not Therapy, a podcast for people who like to find the marvellous in the mundane. Hello, and welcome to this latest episode of This Is Not Therapy, which is called Does Every Freedom Become a Prison? I got the inspiration for this episode because I was reading about housewives in the 50s and how uh, when they got these domestic appliances, like vacuum cleaners and washing machines, they were sold them on the idea that they would give them more leisure time. And, you know, I for one say yay to that. But what actually happened was that far from giving women the freedom, all that happened was that expectations on the standards of cleaning got much higher. So women's days were just as full as they'd ever been. These appliances, which looked like they were going to give them all this freedom, just didn't. And I thought to myself, oh, I wonder what I think is a freedom, but has turned into a prison. And the first thing my eyes alighted upon after this thought was my mobile phone. So I wrote this piece about that. And of course, as is becoming my habit, I'm now finishing the podcast with a poem. But I've got to let you into a little secret, which is that I had a poem called Does Every Freedom Become a Prison? But it never quite worked. And this is quite a common occurrence for me. I found the best thing you can do with a poem when it's not cooperating is shut it in a drawer for a month or a year or five years. Uh, I don't recommend this with other things that don't cooperate, like children or dogs, but it works really well with poems. I think there is some sort of magical poetry fairy who turns up, does a few corrections, and then when you eventually take the poem out of the drawer, you know, several months or years later, it's like, oh, oh yeah, that's how it works. Well, that's the story I'm telling myself, and I'm quite happy with it, so I will keep that. I know, I know it's that I've changed perspective and I'm less attached to the piece of work, blah, blah, blah. But I prefer the idea of a poetry fairy or fairies, a huge union of them. Uh, I need I need plenty of fairies in my life, I think. Uh, If you want to stay in the conversation about it, if you have a response, I'd love to hear from you. See what prisons and freedoms you came up with. Oh, yeah. Anyway, back to the poem. I had this poem that didn't really work. And so what I did was strip out all the best bits and put them in this story. <laughs> which meant when I came to think, oh, I've got that poem somewhere. I could that, That's a really good ending for this. I was like, oh, whoops. <laughs> so I've picked another poem, which has a bit of a tangential connection to the story. All will be revealed. Uh, Let's talk about freedoms and prisons. Does every freedom become a prison? When I was six, my dad, sick of getting up in the middle of lunch to answer the phone, invested in an extension cord. It hung like a twisted skipping rope from wall to kitchen table, where the phone now sat next to him, squat as a resting hippo, its rotary dial and expectant face aching to please. The first lunchtime we hardly ate, all watching the phone to see when it would ring. It didn't, but it was given a second meal and a third, and it soon got the hang of severing family conversations because my sister and I had to be quiet when it rang. A phone call could be business, and business meant, well, food on the table. Ickford 616? Dad got his first mobile phone in 1987. Except it was called a car phone because it was so heavy there was no way you would carry it around. A densely packed plastic brick with an antenna so thick and stiff you could have cleaned a plug hole out with it. It had two batteries, one which lasted about two hours, the other 15 minutes. After making a call, Dad would invariably switch the phone off to save the battery. Still, there was a possibility of being called, wherever you were. Whether you could answer it with reception patchy as acne was another matter. These were the days when you still had the option of not returning a phone call until the next day, and no one would think anything of it. They wouldn't assume you'd been murdered or fallen under a bus. Or that you were ignoring them. I got my own first mobile in 1997. A Nokia. I could make phone calls and send text messages. Amazing. When I wanted to write a text message, I had to press the number one once to get an A, Twice to get a B, three times to get a C. Text messages were extremely short. I still use proper grammar, though. Couldn't stand shortenings like C and U for C U. I I loved that phone. It felt like a passport to freedom. When I was on it, I got an extra swing to my walk. Might raise a quick eyebrow at a person if I noticed them noticing me. On my phone. I didn't carry it around all the time, though. It used to stay in the office while I was out riding or teaching. How could I concentrate on what I was doing if my phone rang? In 2005, my now husband and I went to Spain for three weeks and I turned my Ericsson off for the whole trip. Even the messaging service. I'm sorry. The mobile number you have called is switched off. Please try again later. In 2012, I got my first iPhone. A whole new world of possibility. Photos. Maps. Internet. In 2015, I started getting email on my phone because I was at the Edinburgh Fringe and what if a reviewer or newspaper wanted to get hold of me that instant? Who would have thought when I sent my first email 25 years ago, that one day I would be sending it from my phone. I didn't even have my own email address 25 years ago. I was in Sydney, Australia, and wrote an email to my mum from a friend's account. Mum's address ended in aol.com and as I was in Australia, I added .uk to the end because I didn't understand how the email would know what country to go to bless. When I did eventually get an email address I remember how my heart would race listening to that screech and whirr as the internet connected the anticipation of opening my inbox but on a Monday morning not so long ago I noticed that light breathy flutter has turned into a rattle of pebbles in my heart. My inbox is infinitely fuller but not in a good way. In fact, on this particular morning, every single one of the 20 or so emails I had received was marketing related. I may not have bought anything from a company since, I don't know, 2014. But when I blithely typed in my email address, I handed them something much more valuable than money. I gave them a license for constant bombardment. Hi. Thank you for your order. We will let you know when it's dispatched. Hi. Exciting news. We have a special offer today. Hi. Thanks for your order. Your order will be dispatched imminently. Hi. Have you seen our latest... Uh, Hi. Thanks for your order. It has been dispatched. Hi. Thanks for your order. It has been delivered. Has it? Oh, yeah, if I check behind the outside boiler. Hi, you recently ordered from us. Were you happy with it? Could you give it a rating? Would you give us a review? Hi, you haven't ordered from us in a while. Is there anything we can help you with? Hi, you have ordered from us in the past. We have these new products. I don't even bother reading them most of the time. Just highlight, delete, highlight, delete. But as the early light of the Monday morning slipped around the edge of the window blind, I had a flash of how attenuated I have become to this. It doesn't seem to take long to delete a few emails, but they still require my attention. What if, metaphorically speaking, I didn't even let them near my front door? All I needed to do was scroll to the end of one of these emails and click unsubscribe. And they would stop coming. It's such a little thing. Yet how often do we put these things off for when we have more time? My husband has over 14,000 unread emails. Whenever I suggest unsubscribing from just one of the mailing lists he's on, he gets bristly. I'll do it later, he says. I need to put a whole day aside to sort it all out. We all know that's never going to happen. I started easy. I unsubscribed from Vision Direct because they no longer sell my brand of contact lenses. Definitely no FOMO there. I felt a frisson of thrill run through me. I unsubscribed from another and another. Then a couple of companies I like and will still buy from again. Because, Lucignac, I do not need yet another reminder of how wonderful you are and what social justice you, yes, are involved with But also telling me about every 48 hours. Because, however colourful, well thought out, community supporting, narrative building your emails are, you still want to sell me something. You know it, and I know it. If I need another pair of dungarees, I'll come and find you. One by one, all the marketing emails disappeared from my inbox. Even Amazon and eBay, which I have diligently deleted daily for at least 15 years. The next day, in my inbox, spaciousness. Five or six emails max. Work queries, a lovely note from a friend who came for lunch at the weekend, a notification that I'd been paid. I felt calmer, more clear-eyed as I looked at my daily to-do list. It's like I could instantly see what was important without wading through the energy-sapping rubbish. Look, there are people like Mari Kondo and the minimalists who speak much more eruditely about this sort of thing than I can. And there is plenty more crap I need to clear out of my inbox. All I've done is stop the increase. Now I need to go back and clear what I've kept for no good reason. But it's a start. And it's making my days feel more doable. I've started to get my freedom back. I could tell you the same story about Facebook or Twitter or, well, insert your own poison here. At the beginning of the relationship, it feels like a passport to freedom, that anything is possible. Then at some point, it becomes a prison, or at least an electronic tag. It's too simplistic to blame phones for being a distraction. It's not the phone's fault. It's the minds behind them. The ones that have honed technology to trigger us in our weakest spots, who have weaponized our vulnerabilities, our desire for distraction. Because as a species, we've been inviting in distractions long before phones were invented. Think of Coleridge in 1797, in the middle of writing Kubla Khan, and getting up to answer the door to the man from Porlock, who then bored him senseless over some trivial matter. So Coleridge forgot the rest of the poem, one of his three greatest poems, and he never wrote the end of it, or come to that even the middle. Instead, he could have hidden. He could have not answered the door. Recently, I heard about a woman who in a bid to put her phone back in its rightful place, has recast her phone as a witch's familiar, something she only summons to do her bidding. Otherwise, it is out of sight and on silent. She's even given it fluffy ears. I love that. I wonder what I can do to put my phone back in its place in the hierarchy of things, to go back to it being a freedom, not a prison. Yeah, that's it. What more can I do to set myself free again? As I told you at the beginning, the poem I was going to end with is now part of that story. So luckily I have a, I have a different one to put in. And I was thinking to myself how easy it is to get into every day, that the day can become a prison. Uh, It can become a, a, a drudgery. And the simple way out of that is to remember what a gift it is to just have woken up this morning because so many people, other people won't have done. It's called How to Keep Going. Today is another invitation. See the gold lettering. Your name inked into the space. Don't worry about what you will wear or how you will get there. Feel the weight of the card in your hand. Arm yourself with the secret promise that you will go home early if it is a wrong sort of party. And if you catch yourself telling a story that bores even you, then drop it. But do turn up, whatever the state of your hair The party is not the same without you. Hi, Tina again. Thanks for listening to This Is Not Therapy. All the books and resources mentioned in the podcast are listed in the show notes, where you can also sign up to my monthly newsletter. If you want to book me for a talk or show, or even buy a book, please go to www.tinasedaholme.com. And finally, don't forget to subscribe. Bye!